Uh, we are in a series called Home for Christmas. We started it last week. If this is your first week here, we're in this uh, second installment of it. Last week, we, uh, we looked at the exciting story of the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, if you know anything about Matthew chapter 1, it's the story of the, the genealogy of Jesus, of where he came from. And last week, we took a part of how God desires for us to be in homes, and he desires for us to be in a home. And what makes a great home is not the place, but it's the people. And so we talked about how God desires to make us a family, and we looked at Jesus' family. How many of you get, came out last week listening to Jesus' family and said, my family's really not that bad? Anyway, if, if you didn't hear the message, go back to oscconnect.com. We got it on our podcast. You can watch it or listen to it. And uh, we just talked about where Jesus' family came from and all the stuff that he came out of and, and, uh, and, and how if Jesus' family was that jacked up, your family is welcome into his family as well. And so today we are in part two of this Home for the Christmas uh, series, and I'm really excited about it. I'm excited that I get to wear a bunch of poinsettias today as I preach. Um, I was actually planning my original, my original sweater was going to be this massively huge cat. Had these big old eyes, like huge. They were looking at you, but I thought, everybody's, everybody not, nobody's going to even be able to look at me while I'm preaching because they're going to be looking at this cat. I hate cats, so that's why I was going to wear it, um, just for all my, my cat haters or lovers, whichever one it is, but that's all right. Um, so I want you to turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 real quick, and this is kind of the premise behind uh, the uh, message today, but also even why we are wearing these crazy sweaters. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to cry. And somebody help me out here. A time to, come on, say it again, time to laugh. Laugh. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know what, what kind of upbringing you came from or what kind of church you were raised in, but here at OSC, we love to laugh. How many of you love going to a church that you just enjoy laughing, having fun? I don't know about you, but growing up, you didn't get to laugh in church. I mean, if you had a snicker, your mom looked at you, she was like, don't, it was like death stare. Y'all know what that is? Tractor beams looking at you. And then if that didn't work, she got the pinch on. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know the pinch, right? Every kid in here still got some fat missing in the back of their arms from the pinch because you couldn't laugh. But here at our Savior's Church, we love laughing because I think Jesus loves laughing. He loves laughter. He loves for us to be full of joy and laughter. And so we like, ha we like having fun. We like laughing together, and we like laughing at each other. It's just how it works. Um, but this is this whole season of joy and laughter and all of this. And, and actually, it starts back in the beginning of the story of, of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. If you want to go there in Luke chapter 2, I just want to take one little part of this story of the Christmas story. And we'll, we'll share more of it on Friday in our Christmas services, but I want to extract this one line that the angel shares to the shepherds. And this is what he says. He says, the angels reassured them. In verse 10, it says, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring you what? Come on, say it with me. Great Great joy. I want to give you good news that will bring you great joy to all the people. Come on, this is where we get the song, joy to the world. Yeah, that's, you're a terrible choir. That's why we don't have a choir. You just proved, we don't have a choir because of you. That's why. This is where we get this idea of joy to 
the world. Now, you got to know a little bit of the context of this just real quick, and then we'll jump into some other parts. But uh, this is the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the beginning Gospels. And so before that was a book called Malachi, closed out the Old Testament. In between Malachi and Luke, there was 400 years, 400 years. And here's the thing that made it so despairing. It was 400 years of silence. God had not spoken for 400 years. For the past 500 years, there had been no miracles. So how many of you know they were pretty depressed? So when the angel shows up on the scene and says, I got some great news and some great joy. And they're like, it's about time. I mean, we've been needing some good news. We've been needing some great joy. These people were saddened. I mean, it was just a difficult time that they were in. Much like, I believe, the times we're living in. How many of you know you don't have to search too far to get some bad news? I mean, you just got to open up Facebook, and by the time you get out, you're depressed. I mean, you're depressed. Something's going on. Something's always bad's happening. I mean, from the paper to the, to the TV to Internet or social media, there's just bad news everywhere. And today, I just want you to hear me. You're going to hear some good news today. You hear some good news, it's going to bring you some great joy. Talking about this idea of joy, we want to talk about how do we have joy in a season like this. How many of you have finished your Christmas shopping? Raise your hand. You finished Christmas shopping? Oh, you're awesome. How many of you have not? Come on. Procrastinators unite. Come on. How many are thankful for Amazon two-day prime right there? Get that to your doorstep. I don't have to shop till Wednesday. All right. On Wednesday, show up on Friday. Merry Christmas. I don't know about you, but I'm just letting you know now, if, if, if you think, if you are a procrastinator like I am in any regards, this week was the worst week to choose to go Christmas shopping. Don't you, you better stay away from Satan's Paradise, that's Walmart, and then, um, I'm, I'm joking, if you work at Walmart, I'm just joking, okay, so, Walmart, or if you don't go to Walmart, which by the way, if, you, if you're shopping for me at Walmart, I'm glad you're not in my family, and so, Walmart, but the other one is the mall. Anybody ever, you wake up December 23rd, 24th, and you're like, oh, we got we to get some Christmas. And you dare go to the mall on one of those days? Let me just let you know. Listen, Christmas time is a time that we celebrate Jesus, but Jesus even says, I'm not up in that mall. I'm not all up in that stuff. Jesus backs out of the mall. I mean, the mall is like the book of Revelations during that time. I mean, there's weeping and wailing. There's gnashing of teeth. I mean, all of that is happening this week at the mall. You don't, okay, just go, go. I'll sh- you can prove me wrong and see. How many of you in here have ever tried to go maybe on Black Friday shopping or in a, in a time where it was just absolutely overly crowded and you were praying for a parking spot? Anybody in here? Come on, how many of you were praying for a parking spot before? How many of you done that before? I've done that all the time. I mean, I remind the Lord. I just want to let you know, Lord, I tithe. I love people. I mean, I need a close spot, you know, because we can't walk the 200 feet because we're going to be walking 10 miles in the mall anyways. But I don't know any of y'all have ever seen somebody coming out of the mall and there's no, no, there's no spots anywhere. You see somebody coming out of the mall, they got their bags, and you're like, go get them. And then you're like, how many of you have ever stalked somebody in the parking lot mall? Come on. All right. Not stalk in a creepy way, okay? We're not that kind of church. But you know what I'm talking about. You got to get up to them. You got to get close. Listen, you got to get close enough to where nobody else can step in, but you don't want to get too close because you don't want to spook them like a deer. So you kind of, you know... And it's like they're turning around, and you're just like, you're on your phone, and then you're kind of moving. This is the worst part. They go down the aisle, they're doing, and then they go into the car, and it's like, you know, the seventh car, and you're like, oh, listen, seven, number of Jesus, completion, there we go, Lord, I'm living holy. And then they go to the other aisle, 
Anybody ever been that? Everybody seen that? And then you're cursing them? How dare you? I mean, how many think there should be a law that you've got to go down the aisle that your car is parked on? Come on, anybody in here? I'm putting that into a law. You got to go down the aisle that you're parked on. You can't be psyching us out. That's wrong. Lose all my joy right there. I just lost it all. I'm one of those kind of drivers. That's just kind of how I am. Last year, Lindsay had me put up, my job at our house in the decorating side of things is I got to put up the tree. That's, that's my job. Last year, I shared, we have a fake tree. Any fake tree people in the house? Come on, fake people. Oh, yeah. I mean, tree people. Okay. <laughs> So mine's in my attic. I have a massively huge attic, and I actually, I don't even have to disassemble it. I put a bag over it, and I bring it up to the attic, and I put it there. On the box, it says, worry-free tree. Lies. All lies, by the way. Last year, I got it down. I I put it down. I I took the bag off, plugged it in. It was like, Merry Christmas. Did my part. My wife decorates the tree, does all that. Well, I plug it in. The lights at the top are good. The lights at the bottom are good. Nothing in the middle. Nothing in the middle. So, you know, I'm, hey, I'm Mr. Fix-It. Got to try to figure this thing out. So I'm doing all the bulbs, testing all the bulbs, trying to push every bulb in. Nothing's happening. I mean, blackness in the middle. Nothing's happening in the middle. So I'm trying everything, doing a little testers, trying to see. Nothing's happening. So I'm like, listen, new style, new style. Top, bottom, middle's open, put a nativity scene. Jesus in the center of it all, right there, right there. In the middle, he's got it all, new style. Lindsay's like, we ain't doing that. She's like, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get some Christmas lights, and we're just going to wrap other Christmas lights around it. I'm like, that's ghetto. We ain't doing that. We ain't doing that. Well, then one of our friends calls us and said that he had the same problem. Undoubtedly, he got one of those worry-free trees, too. And so, so he says, listen, man, I trimmed all of the lights. I just clipped the lights off of the tree, and then I, then I just restrung it. I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's cool. Well, what I did not know was that those lights are put on those little branches by all of Santa's tiny little elves that they got their little nimble fingers all around them, all around every single branch. And it did not take me one hour to take those lights off. No, not two. No, not three. Six hours to take a six-foot tree lights off. I, listen, I was cursing that tree like Jesus was cursing the fig tree. I mean, I was cursing it. I was sending back to the... I was like, let's go to Easter. All right, Easter is up. How I many know you can lose some joy in the midst of holidays? But we've got to remind ourselves that even in the midst of all of the hustle and bustle and the shopping and the decorations and everything that goes on, that our joy is really not coming from the tree and our joy is not coming from the the decorations, and even from the gifts. Come on, how many know our joy is plugged to the source of what this reason uh, for the season's all about? His name's Jesus. And so this is a season for us where we stop and celebrate the Christ child. And we celebrate this herald news that the angels give that, hey, I have good news that's going to bring great joy. Unfortunately, during the Christmas holidays, and if you were to really go into some homes, even though they look so well decorated on the outside, and even maybe so well decorated on the inside, there's really some greater issues going on on the inside. There's depression, and hurt, and pain, and struggle, and the holidays oftentimes bring a lot of that on. Um, they amplify a lot of that. We talked last week about being in a broken home, in an empty home. Some people are going to have Christmas this year with an empty seat at their table. Some people are going to have to go to three different Christmases because nobody gets along. 
I mean, this is the reality of the truth of, of what we live in. And so when we talk about joy to the world or sing joy to the world, it's almost like we feel like I'm singing a lie because I don't feel like it's very joyous right now. And so the Bible speaks a lot about this in Scripture. We're going to get to it in a minute. But I want to show you something in John chapter 10 because the enemy wants in this Christmas season to steal your joy and your peace and your hope. And I'm going to show you John 10, 10 says the thief comes only. What's that word? To what? What does he come to do? He comes to steal and he comes to kill and he comes to destroy. Now I want you to see what Jesus says though. Jesus says, but I've come. See, that's why he's come. He's come to steal from you, but I've come to give you life. And I love this. And to have it to the what? Come on. How many want the full life that God has for you? This is the life that God calls for you. So the question is, is why does the enemy want to steal our joy? Why does he want us to be miserable and depressed? Well, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10 says this. You can look at it in your notes. It says this. It says, the what? The joy of the Lord. What is it? It's your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Meaning that, that this is not my joy. It's God's joy. His joy. And that his joy is my strength. Notice, that's the title of today's message. His joy your strength. So what that means, though, on the flip side of it, though, is that if you are not strong, if you are depressed, or if you are weak, or if you are struggling, you just need some of his joy. Because his joy is guaranteed to be your strength. And can I tell you this? When the joy of the Lord is your strength, you are unstoppable. Come on. When the joy of the Lord is your strength, and it's not something that people give to you, but it's something that God blesses you with, and you get from God alone. How many know if you can get it from God, nobody can take it from you? Hey, listen to me this way. Your joy is under your jurisdiction. You know what that means? That means nobody can steal it from you. You've got to give it away. Nobody can take your peace. Nobody can take your hope. Nobody can take your joy. Now, it can seem like it all the time, but the truth is, is that we give it away. Because this tells us that this is God's joy and he gives it to us. And when you have joy and the joy is your strength, how many know you can walk through hard times and still smile because it's not your strength, it's his strength. It's not your joy, it's his joy. And that's why the enemy wants to steal this from us. This is why we get so depressed and down during the holidays is he wants to steal your strength. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 is going to show us ways that we either give away our joy, or the way that the enemy steals our joy. And I want to show you in Second Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Now look at this. It says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents. Come on, how many of you think that name's kind of what we're dealing with right now? And look what it says. Now watch this. Here's your fours. Four things that I want to key in on. They're going to be ungrateful, Unholy, unloving, and unforgiving. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, and unforgiving. I think the lack of joy in our lives can be traced to these four. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, and unforgiving. So let's real quickly look at each one of these. Ungrateful. What is ungrateful? Well, we'll talk a lot about this in just a minute, but I think ungrateful is when we get so focused on what we want that we forget what we have. We get so focused on what we want that we fail to appreciate what we have. Yeah. Now, how many, how many of you in here have kids? How many of you in here have seen this in your kids? Just bought something brand new, and all of a sudden, how many know that brand new thing a week or a month down the road is not good enough? How many know that iPhone 7 is not as good as the iPhone 7S? How many know 
Come on, how many of you with me here? I came home uh, a couple months, well, probably about a month ago, I came home, all my boys are sitting at a stool, and they all got magazines and pens. And so, and I saw Joel was like this. I was like, what are y'all doing? Oh, we're just telling you what we want for Christmas. I was like, he's like highlighting everything. I'm like, you're getting, no, you're not getting all that. I mean, he's highlighting like numbers and all. I'm like, here, I'll tear it off. Merry Christmas. Okay, there you go. I mean, but there's this ultimate desire to always want new stuff, have new stuff. How many know that's not just with kids all the time, though? That's with us, too. I mean, no, your car was awesome, but it's not as awesome as that one that's got that automatic massage back that's got going on in the back. Come on, how many know that's the, I need that one. Y'all heard about that? That's the real deal. That really, they really have a car that does that. Um, I don't need that. I'd fall asleep at the wheel. But how many know when you don't give your kids what they want, you'll hear things like, you never buy me anything. Anybody ever? Oh, is that just in my house? Okay, all right. You never give me anything. So I, I found a way to actually respond to that. By the way, I just want to let you know, when your kids say you never buy me anything, come on now. Did you take a hot shower today? Merry Christmas. Oh, oh, did you get out of your bed that you didn't buy? Merry Christmas. Did you have breakfast? Merry Christmas. What did you buy me? I'm going to go start buying bows. Just start putting it everywhere, all over the place, all over the house. Merry Christmas to y'all. Don't do this. By the way, don't do this. Don't do this. But if you do it, just send me pictures. I want to see what you're doing, see what happens. That's awesome. Here's the next one. So ungrateful, unholy. Unholy. A lot of pastors don't like talking about this because, honestly, a lot of people like to have, make sure that their pastor tells them things that they want to hear often and not the things that they need to hear. But in this area of unholiness, it's this idea that there are secret areas of our lives that we don't think that God needs to know about. It's areas that we hide, which, oh, by the way, newsflash, God knows everything. Just want to let you know. I'm just, just telling you. But we, we want to hide these areas of our lives, and we, we kind of come and say, God, you can have all of this except for this. And we hold on to these things, or we think that somehow that even though the Bible tells us we need to do it this way and this way and this way, we think that if we thumb through in the back of the index and we, we scroll down to that verse, there would be a picture of us that says, except for her, doesn't apply to her, except for him. But we, we know in Scripture that God tells us to do things a certain way for a certain reason, and we also know that, that areas of our lives that God doesn't know about are usually the areas that God wants us to be the most free in. But the enemy wants to allow those to be areas where you feel like it's okay to hide or you feel like it's okay to not reveal. And this is this area of unholiness. How do you know there's a difference between I'm sorry and I repent? You actually see it in your kids all the time. How do you know when you bust your kids when they were doing something like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. How do you know they're not really sorry? What are they sorry for? Exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah. Y'all all been trained the way I have. Okay. They're sorry for getting caught. That's what they're sorry for. They're not really truly sorry because you know they're not sorry because later that afternoon they will go do the exact same thing. They're just sorry that they were dumb enough to get busted for it. And so there's this I'm sorry, but the truth is, is that God says in the unholy areas of our lives, he doesn't want us to say I'm sorry. He wants us to say I repent. I repent is way different than I'm sorry. I'm sorry is, ah, oh God, I'm sorry I blew it, man, blew it. I'm, t- I'm sorry you busted me. I repent is, God, I'm, I'm not only sorry for this, 
but I want to change the way I think towards this, and I want to change my actions. I want to change the way I view to it. Repent actually is the term of turning to something, turning from something. We turn from sin, we turn to Jesus. How many know if somebody keeps doing the same thing over and over again, they keep saying they're sorry? How many know that eventually just kind of wears down? You're like, you're not really sorry. How would they show you that they're really sorry? They would change what they're doing. They would change their actions. So in this idea of unholiness, I'm going to tell you right now, nothing steals your joy more than being in a room full of people and you know there's a part of your heart or a part of your life that nobody knows about. There's nothing that will steal your joy more than having an area of your heart that God is saying, let me deal with this. And you go, no, God, no, God, no, God. And then you have to walk out of here and you have to go home back to either dysfunction or you have to go home back to whatever, maybe your own mind and thoughts. And you have to lay down in bed and think, if they only really knew the real me, they probably wouldn't want me there. Which is, by the way, that's a lie. Because the great thing about church is that we're all sinners in need of God's grace. We all are broken. And come on, amen on that one. We all have areas. And I tell this to our guys all the time. You're only as sick as your secrets. So wherever your secrets are, that's where the enemy has a foothold. That's the unholy areas of our lives. And God says, listen, if you want my full joy, not only is it ungratitude that will block it, but unholiness will block it. And here's your third one, unloving. Come on, we live in a society that loves talking about love a lot, but doesn't want to do any of it. Everybody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to do it. Why do you think the divorce rate is so high? Think about this. The reason divorce rate is so high is because God instituted a unselfish institution in a selfish society. The greatest reason we have struggles in marriage is because it is a unselfish union between two people that, by the way, are two extremely selfish people. And then he puts them in an extremely selfish society. And so it's a battle. It is a fight. This idea of being unloving. The crazy part of it all is that oftentimes we can be more loving with people who are total strangers than the people that are actually in our home. We can be more unloving to the people that are closest to us than the people that are at our work. God says, listen, if you want my joy, if you want the joy to be your strength, you have to deal with this unloving attitude. And here's your last one, unforgiving. Unforgiving. We've had many messages on this, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. I would encourage you to go back, if you have any issues with forgiveness, to, to listen to any of our messages. But let me give you one illustration, I think, that will really help you. So unforgiveness is really this idea of holding on to something, holding on to a hurt, or holding on to an offense, or holding on to something somebody's done for you, and you want to hold on to it, and you want to, you want to let them know. But here's the truth. Um, well, let me put it this way. There is an animal in Africa that is the hardest animal to trap. It's the hardest animal to trap. Everybody that tries to trap it can never catch it. And it is the ringtail monkey. I know you, know you wanted to know all this stuff today, so I'm just going to help you out. I know you want tell me about the ringtail monkey. What's going on? Okay, so I'm going to tell you about the ringtail monkey. How many of you want to trap a ringtail monkey? I know you do. You have none of them around here. So, okay. So this is how the Zulu tribe figured out a way to actually capture the ringtail monkey. They realized that the ringtail monkey really, really loves melon seeds. Really loves melon seeds. So what they did is they got a tree and they, they burrowed a hole 
It was just a tiny hole inside of this tree, and they dropped these melon seeds inside of this, of this tree. And so the ringtail monkey, of course, wanting the melon seeds, goes to the tree, puts his hand into the tree, grabs the melon seeds, and then proceeds to try to pull them out, but can't. He can't. His fist won't fit through the thing. But because he wants the seeds so bad, he will not let go. And the Zulu natives know that because he wants it so bad, what he wants in his life will actually become his prison because he can't let it go. And that is the greatest picture of unforgiveness. Because you won't let it go, you become the prisoner. You're the one that ends up getting captured by it because you can't let it go. So they just go, pick up the monkey, take it away because you won't let it go. Listen, today is going to be a let go Sunday, by the way. We're going to let some stuff go. Come on, how many of you need to let some stuff go? I know, it's in here. Listen, many times we think if I let it go, then I'm going to be a doormat. No, you're not. Man, if I let him go, then, it, then, then I'm, that's me saying it wasn't a big deal. No, that's not either. It doesn't diminish the fact of what they did or what they said. It doesn't diminish any of those facts. Here's the truth. When you forgive somebody, you set a prisoner free, and that prisoner just happens to be you. You're the prisoner. And you set them free, and you say, you know what, I'm going to cut that off. Maybe it's sometimes you've got to cut the relationship off, but you're going to forgive and release. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you walk in unforgiveness, you definitely have no joy. I know it right now. No joy, unloving, ungrateful, unholy, unforgiveness. These four things steal our joy all the time. So let's talk about some good news. How do we get our joy back? How do we get it back in our lives? How do we get to a place where we experience the joy of God? Here's your first one. Why don't you, why don't you write this down? Gratitude begins where entitlement ends. Gratitude begins where entitlement ends. Matthew chapter 22 is a verse where the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, hey, there's all these commandments and all these laws, and you're telling me that there's all these laws that I need to follow, and Jesus says, no, listen, I'm going to give you two. We're going to make it real simple. How many of you are glad that Jesus put the cookie jar down at the bottom shelf for us? He's going to make it real simple. I'm going to put it down here real simple for you. Don't worry about all those. Just worry about these two. Here's the two I want you to focus on. First one, so I want you, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Which, by the way, that's our passion for you. We just want you to love God. We want you to know God. I don't want you to know religion. I don't want you to know tradition. I just want you to love Jesus. Come on, how many of you want to love Jesus? I want you to love God, love God, love God. And here's the thing. This is the first and this is the greatest commandment. But if you get this one right, you learn to love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. Now watch what's going to happen. The second one is this. A second is equally important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the big question. What do you think gets in the way of you loving God and you loving people? Guess what? Loving yourself. Bingo. Loving yourself. Come on, how many of you love a little bit of you? I mean, you know, nobody else wakes up in the morning and thinks about you as much as you do. <laughs> Come on, ain't that the truth? I mean, I love me. I love me a lot. And you love you. Don't be judging me. Okay, you love you. I promise you. You love you. We all love ourselves. And it's the one thing that gets in the way of us loving God and us loving people is we love ourselves. We feel entitled. I feel like I'm a pretty good person. When I feel like I'm a pretty good person, then I feel like my needs are really important. And then if I feel like my needs are really important, if you're not meeting my needs, I don't like you. 
Y'all see how this works? I think I'm a good person. I think my needs are big. And if you don't meet my needs, then we're, 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 then now here's the complaining starts. So gratitude begins where entitlement ends. So when I get to the place where it's no longer about me, that's where gratitude begins. Let's do an entitlement checkup, all right? Let's find out where we are in this entitlement issue. Because have you ever noticed that you can't complain and have joy at the same time? Complainers don't have joy, by the way. Here's your entitlement checkup. Just, just answer these questions to yourself. You don't have to write them down. Just answer these. Do you find it easier to complain or to give thanks? Are you easily irritated and quickly impatient? Don't go to Walmart. Um, how often do you say, if only I had fill in the blank? Do you complain when things aren't going your way? Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, this is what it says. It says, do everything without, everybody say it? Yeah, everybody's like, complaining. <laughs> Nobody wanted to say it. Do everything without? Come on, without? Or? Some of y'all need to put that over your doorpost this Christmas when everybody comes to your house, all right? Listen, just read the thing. Do everything. Nobody's complaining and nobody's arguing. We got the complaining section. It's outside in the garage. You can just take it up with those people. Do everything without complaining or without arguing. How many of you know this is a lot easier said than done? It's a lot easier read than done. This is what Jesus says, that we should not be complaining because it's impossible to complain while you're saying thank you. It's impossible to complain and say thank you at the same time. Now, I have three boys. I've shared that with you before. My boys are now older. They're now out of the, out of the baby toddler stage. Hallelujah. Um, but for all those that have babies and toddlers, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm interceding with you. We'll have some prayer partners up here. We'll pray for you. But um, I remember in those days, come on, how many of you know in those days, and now even my, I mean, my youngest is six, and then I have an eight, and then I have a 12-year-old. How many know when they still don't get their way or get what they want, no matter if they're a toddler, now all the way up into 12 years old, come on, how many you know, pitch a fit on the ground, waves handle everywhere, all, I don't get it, I don't get it. all that was going on. It happened yesterday at our house. <laughs> yesterday. So these are real life examples for you. <laughs> Lindsay comes, in my, comes into my office and she's like, they don't listen to me. They don't listen. Your boy, listen, how many know it's my boys now? Your boys... <laughs> Your boys are not listening to me. I was telling them to do this and do this, and they were just like staring at me. But mom, but mom, but mom. And I said, just go do this. And then, but mom, but mom. I mean, no, because they want what they want right when they want it, right then and there. And that is, that's what I call being a baby. And oftentimes for many of us, when it comes to the, 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 the gratitude side of things, we have baby gratitude. So we're thankful for things when God does what we want, right? So when you say, God, I need this, God, I need that, and God does it, we go, thank you, just like you train your children. Hey, tell them thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's baby gratitude. I think God wants to graduate your gratitude, though. I think he wants you to get to another place, which is where this scripture goes. Let me show you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. This is another level of gratitude that I want us to get at. 
Not just the gratitude that we're thankful for God doing everything that we want. God, give me a husband. Thank you. God, give me a job. Thank you. God, give me this. And we do our little blessings in the food, and that's good. And we do our little blessings at night, and that's good. But oftentimes, have you noticed most of your prayers are just thank you for what he's done? But watch this verse. Always be, what's the word? Be joyful. Never stop praying. Now watch this. And be thankful in what? All circumstances. God wants to graduate our gratitude. This is what I mean. It's one thing to be thankful for something. It's another thing to have really true faith is when you're thankful in something. Come on, how many of you know when God's doing everything that you want, I love Jesus. But how many of you know when Jesus ain't coming through like you want him to? Come on, how many of you know your gratitude goes Paul's telling us something here. He says, listen, you need to always be joyful, always be praying. But listen, you need to be thankful in all circumstances. Now, listen, I'm not saying be thankful for the circumstances. You lose your job. I'm not thankful for that. Your kid gets sick. I'm not thankful for that. But there's a way for me to be grateful in it, not for it. Y'all with me here? And God wants to graduate our gratitude to a place that we are thankful not just for the things that we have, but we're thankful for the things that he's done and thankful for what God is going to do. Gratitude doesn't come from accumulation. It comes from appreciation. Most of us go, when God does this, when I get this, when I got that, then I'll get gratitude. God, God, God says, uh-uh. Gratitude doesn't come from accumulating things. Gratitude comes from appreciating things. And I appreciate all that God has done and what he's doing in me. How I many know I'm, how I'm doing, write this down, how I'm doing does not depend on how things are going. How I'm doing does not depend on how things are going. Oftentimes the best time for us to express gratitude is when you don't necessarily feel like it. And how we're doing doesn't always have to mean Depend on how things are going. Here's number two. Gratitude unlocks the door to God's heart. So gratitude begins where entitlement ends, where I finally say it's not about me. It's all about you, God. It's all about other people. Then that is, I'm going to begin to experience joy, which by the way, if you want to have an acrostic for how joy should be spelled, it should be Jesus, others, and then you. There's your joy. Jesus, others, and then you. Reason why we don't get it is because we like to put yoj, you, others than Jesus. This is how we experience the joy. So here's number two. Gratitude unlocks the door to God's heart. I love this. Psalms 100 verse 4. Psalms 100 verse 4. It says, enter with the password. What is it? What's the password? I love this in the message transition. Enter with the password. Thank you. This is how God tells you how he wants you to come into his house. You want to come into my house? Come on. How many have any kids? I got, I got boys. They got clubhouses. All their clubhouses and even their rooms have passwords. Like I knock on the door, bah, bah, bah. hey, dad, let's, let me in. This is dad. What's the password? I bought this house. That's my password. That's my, I like it. It's, and it always opens the door, by the way. No food for you. That's the other password. Um, God's password for his house is thank you. You want to get in my house? Thank you. Now watch this. And make yourselves at Come on, how many of you know you really at some place when you can make yourself at home? When you can just make yourself, come on in, kitchen's yours. Open up the, 
Come on, how many know you, you at somebody's house that really loves you when you just open up their kitchen and you open up their pantry, open up their refrigerator? This is what Jesus is saying. Man, come on up. Come on up in the fridge, man. Come on in. And he says, taking praise, talking praise, not taking praise, talking praise, thank him and worship him. Thank him. Notice he puts it twice. Say thank you and then thank him again and then worship him. I want you to imagine life oftentimes is, is like a hammer. It's like a hammer. And with a hammer, a, a lot of times the, the, the analogy that we often hear of a hammer is to a, to a hammer, everything is a what? Is a nail. That everything that we see in our life is like a nail. We're always trying to hammer everything in. We're trying to get our way and hammer our way into things. And oftentimes when we use this hammer, it's very destructive it's very, uh, we, we're, we're beating things and people into submission. Come on, how many know we can use our words like a hammer? Just get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. And we can try to get things the way that we want it with a hammer. Now, I want you to imagine this, though. I want you to imagine there was a door here. On the other side of this door was everything that you've been praying for. Everything that you've been desiring. If I could say, man, what's one thing that God could give you this Christmas? And if you asked for it, he'd give it to you. So think about what that is. And it's on the other side of this door. And you have two options on how to get through this door. One, a hammer. Or two, a key. Your choice. Which one would you choose? Now some of you would be like, I'll choose a hammer. I mean, I'm we use a key, right? We'd use the key to unlock the door to get to that side. This verse tells us that thank you is the key. Gratitude is the key that unlocks God's heart for you. How many parents in here, when your kids, uh, moms, let's talk to the moms in here. Moms, if, you know, you made, you made a, this huge old dinner, slave for hours on this dinner, and your kids come, they get their plate, and they're like, Mom, I just want you to know, thank you so much for all that you have done for me. You are the biggest blessing in my life. There's no other mother greater than you. You're the best on the planet. This food, I'm going to eat all of it. Everyone, that, Yep. Even those squash and the broccoli, I'm eating it all just for you, mom, because I know, I know how much work you put into this. And you know what, mom? A lot of things that you do are unseen. I just want you to know, I see them, and I love you. Come on, how many of you know right there, two things would happen. One, you'd either pass out, or two, you go, what you want? Right? Right? That's what's happening. But if it truly was genuine, which kids and teenagers, if you're in here, listen to me on this. Gratitude will unlock your parents' heart too. Maybe even their wallet. But anyways, okay. But how many know if your kids are genuine? Dad, I love you. Thank you. How many of you know then you would say, what do you want? Man, what do you want? You want to go get ice cream? I want ice cream. Let's go, man. Let's... How many of you know that when your kids lead with gratitude, your heart as a parent goes, man, I want to bless you. And I've learned this, little gratitude you get little things from God. Great gratitude. You get great things from God. He who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And I believe he who is thankful in the little will also be thankful in the much. Come on, how many if we just came to God and said, God, just thank you. Thank you. God, if you did nothing else for me, thank you. Thank you for all. How many of you know God doesn't owe you anything? Y'all know that, right? He's done enough for you and I. He doesn't, he doesn't owe, us, owe us anything. Look what Philippians 4, 6 says. It says, tell God what you need. I love this. this. 
This also shows us this, how thankfulness and gratitude unlocks God's heart. Now look, tell God what you need and, and do what? Come on, we're going to keep saying this. Thank him for all that he has done. Now watch this. When you do this, when you lead with gratitude, when you lead with thanksgiving, watch. Then, then you will experience God's what? Peace. peace. Come on, how many, how many say, I want some peace? I need some peace which exceeds anything that we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Hey, listen, you may not get everything you want, but when you lead with thanksgiving, you'll get everything you need. Because how many know you can't buy peace? You can't buy joy. You can't buy hope. The most miserable people I know are usually the ones who have the most. Because they think that they can buy it somehow. I'm telling you, I, I counsel with somebody this week that has a lot of money and their family is in disarray. They have no joy, no hope, and no peace. And if they could buy it, they would. But you can't. You know why? Because it's not yours to buy, it's God's to give. But he does give it. And he gives it generously. And this says, if you'll lead with thanksgiving, peace will follow. Hey, by the way, this same principle works in all areas of your life. If your relationships are messed up, try leading with thanksgiving. Well, man, I, man, Pastor, listen, I don't, I don't know. I don't have anything to be thankful for, man. I don't, man, she, she, man, if you knew my wife, man, I don't have any. Well, listen, she didn't kill you. Just go up to it. Thank you for not killing me. I appreciate you. Start somewhere. Come on, how many know we all got something to be thankful for? And listen, it could be bad. It could be terrible. I'm not, I'm not saying we're thankful for those situations, but we can't be thankful in them. This is, a, this is this idea of leading with peace. Here's number three, and we're almost done. Gratitude is never invisible or silent. Gratitude is never invisible or silent. Psalms 92 says this, it is good. Come on, say, everybody say good. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. We just did that just a minute ago. It's good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning and your faithfulness in the evening. Come on, listen. Everybody listen to me real quick. Gratitude is a muscle. It must be worked out. Gratitude is not a feeling. Because I mean, if we only went off of feelings, you wouldn't be grateful. Gratitude is a muscle. It's got to be worked out, just like the muscles in your body. It's got to be stretched. It's got to be pushed. It's got to be worked out. You got to put something behind it. So I want to give you just real quick. It's not in your notes. If you want to just jot these three day, uh, two things down just real quick, let me tell you how you can, uh, let me work out your gratitude muscle for you, okay? You want to know how this week, starting this afternoon, you could start this on how to work out your gratitude muscle. First one, smile. Smile. Your face says you're either grateful or hateful. Smile. Like life's not that bad. Smile. See, I, I can't choose the beauty that's on this face. Don't. That, that wasn't the funny part, okay? You can keep that to yourself. But I can choose the expression on it. I can. I can choose the expression that's on it. And I'm going to tell you right now, some of you just need to smile. It, it will help. Have you ever been to a, a store or to a restaurant and in, anywhere and, and somebody's like looking at you and they're not smiling and you're like, what's wrong with you? 
And they're like, what? What? You know, they got resting angry face or something. Okay. Yeah, y'all know it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Listen, if you're grateful and you know it, tell your face. Come on, let's try that one again. If you're grateful and you know it, tell you. Yeah. See, you're already smiling already. I could, let's add some more. No, I'm joking. If you're grateful and you know it, tell your face. Tell your, listen, I wish y'all could stand up here and see the view that I have to see every Sunday with people looking at me. I don't know if you hate me. I don't know if it's, I don't know. I'm like, I avoid certain sections just because I'm not like, what's going on? I don't know. It's not this section. Just want to let y'all know. It's, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Smile. Listen, it will do you some, some good. I promise you. Here's the second one. See it and say it. See it and say it. Come on. How many know if you're looking for something that's bad, you'll find it all the time? How many know it's easy for us to look for the bad? I mean, we wake up in the morning and look and see bad everywhere. I mean, uh, it doesn't take you long or far to, to find bad things or bad news. But how many know you need to also be looking for the good? Yes. You need to be looking for the good. Looking all over. You should wake up every morning and, say, and, and look for the things to be grateful for, the things to be um, appreciative of. And gratitude is this muscle. We've got to flex it. So let me give you a challenge. I'm going to give you the challenge because I think that gratitude that's not expressed is not gratitude. I'll say that again. Gratitude not expressed is not gratitude. So you're like, oh, I'm thankful for her. Well, have you told her? Well, no, she just knows. I mean, I said I love you when we got married. Okay, you might want to try a couple more times. I mean, that might, might just help. Just saying, well, man, I'm not really that type of person. Well, become that type of person. Because if you want to have great relationships, gratitude is, has to be expressed. It, it, gratitude is not silent, and it's not invisible. You've got, you got to see it, and you've got to say it, and you've got to show it. So I'm going I'm to issue a gratitude challenge. I issued it at 9. I'm going to issue it at 1045, and let's see which one's going to take the challenge more. Is this week, I want you to think through. You can start it today. Who in your life has impacted you, that has, has made you who you are, that has, has just been a blessing to you or has done something for you or has just been there for you? And take some time this week to either write a letter or make a phone call or send a text or post on Facebook or do something just to show them how much they mean to you. I'll post a video probably either today or tomorrow, and I want to show you because science actually proves that people who express their gratitude actually raise their level of joy in their life. And science proves that. Not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about just spiritual. I'm talking about secular science proves that when you share gratitude expressed, it raises your level of joy. And you know why? Because it's biblical. Because the Bible says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Come on now. When I give and I bless and I build up and encourage somebody else, guess what God does to me? He builds and encourages me. You depressed? Go encourage somebody else. You need some joy? Go give it away. 
We give that away. So it's gratitude's never invisible or silent. Here's your last one. We'll wrap it all up. Gratitude changes my concentration. Gratitude changes my concentration. I'll tell you what that means in just a minute. Psalm 16 says this. You make known to me the path of life. I love this verse. Look at this. In your presence. This is God speaking to us. In my presence. In God's presence. Look, look what there is. There is what? Fullness of what? Come on. Fullness of joy. Not a shortage of joy. There is a fullness of joy. When you are with God, there is fullness of joy in his presence. And look what it says. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We all have the access to the same joy across the board because you have the same access to God that I have. But let me tell you something right now. Lack of joy just reveals where your relationship with God is. I'll say it again. Lack of joy in your life only reveals where your relationship with God is. Because what this verse tells me is that in God's presence, there's fullness of joy. So guess what? When I have a shortage of joy, guess who I haven't been spending time with? I haven't spent time with God. Because when you get with God, he fills you with joy. I love this other verse, and we'll wrap it up with this. John 15, 11 says these things. Now, this is red letters. This is Jesus' words right here. He says this. He says, these things I have spoken to you. Now, look at this. He says that my joy, this is Jesus saying, my joy, Jesus' joy may be what? In you. So God's desire is that his joy will be in you so that your joy may be what? May be full. Now, if we're all extremely honest, though, this is really difficult, probably especially in the Christmas season, because all of us have circumstances and situations where things happen in our life. And I want you to imagine this for a minute. I want you to imagine that this represents you. This represents your life. Now, this is what happens, though, because life is not just all peachy king and it's always crystal clear. How many know that things happen in our life and depression drops in and situations drop in and hardship drops in and things happen in our life and our life literally begins to swirl all around and we get a little, a little blue. People aren't experiencing white Christmases. They're experiencing blue Christmases because of relationships. I got to go to three different Christmas family events because nobody gets along with each other. And I don't even know how I'm going to get stuff for my kids for Christmas because we don't really even have any money. And me and my husband really aren't even talking much. And now we got to go to this event and act like everything's okay. It's really not. And we have all this stuff that begins to drop in our lives. And a lot of it, honestly, you can't control. Because if you would, you wouldn't let it drop in. Now, some of it we can control, but many of us, we can't. So when I say that gratitude changes my concentration, one of the things that you're going to notice is that when things like this drop into your life, you want to concentrate on whatever that hurt is or whatever that pain is or whatever that discomfort is or whatever that has happened in your life. But I'm so thankful that Jesus' joy is so much grander than mine. It's so much greater than mine. And this verse, can we throw that verse back up? I want you to see this verse. 
Because you're not going to forget this. This is what it says. It says that these things I have spoken to you. Can we put that up? These things I have spoken to you. Now watch this. That my joy, my joy may be in you. This is God's desire. Is that my joy would be in you. Now watch this. Look at the rest of this thing. And that your joy, your joy may be what? Come on, everybody say it. Maybe what? Full. Full. See, here's the thing. We get so focused on what we're worried about. We get so focused and so concentrated on the things that have hurt us that we don't come and spend time with God. And we realize that when we spend time with God, he pours in his joy. And as he pours in his joy, we get less worry and we get more worship. We get less worry. We get more word. And when we do that, guess what happens? God overflows and (laughs) he fills us with his joy. Come on, less of me and more of him. Less of me and more of him. I have inscribed on my wedding band the word me and then the lesser than sign and the word you. And it means two things. One, it's a promise to my wife that it's less about me and more about you. But it's also a promise to God that God, it's going to be less about me and more about you. Because how many of you know when it's more about me and less about him, joy leaves. But when it's less about me and more about him, joy remains. I want you to bow your heads all across this place, and I want us to do an inventory today. If you'd be honest and you say, Pastor Josh, you know what? Stuff, stuff like that has happened, man. I, stuff has dropped into my heart. Stuff has dropped into my soul. Stuff is, there's, there's just been things that have happened, and I've wanted to, to focus my concentration on those things. But God, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing today that, that I really don't have any joy. I really don't have any peace. I really don't have any hope. And if we're honest, it, it's because it's been about me. If you be here today and you're in this room and you say, you know what, I I want that joy. This Christmas season, no matter what's going on around you, no matter what's going on to you, you can experience that joy. And you say, Pastor Josh, I want to experience that joy today. Would you just raise your hand all across this room? Come on. It's all right. We got hands going up all over. Just keep them up. Just keep them up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Hands going up all over this place. God, I pray right now, Lord, over every single hand that's raised. Lord, we can't control what happens to us, but we can control what, how we respond to those. And God, I pray right now over every single hand that's raised, God, believing wholeheartedly that your joy would fill them, refresh them. I thank you, God, that nobody and nothing can steal their joy because your joy is our strength. So I pray right now in the incredible name of Jesus that your joy would overflow in their lives. God, I pray, Lord, they would get their concentration eyes off of themselves. And God, I pray that they would be a people of gratitude. Starting today, instead of looking at all the negative, instead of looking at all the things that are going wrong, God, that they would look at the blessings. God, that they would focus on all the things that you have done and all the things that you're doing. And God, I pray that over them today. In Jesus' name, still with heads bowed, I want to speak to those today that, that maybe you don't have a relationship with God. You can put your hands down. You know, the, the true source of joy comes only from Jesus. Jesus is our joy because he is the joy. And if you're in here and you've, you've never had 
a relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about being baptized. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about a genuine relationship with God where you hear him, he speaks to you, you surrender your heart to him. If you say, I've never had that before. Today, I, I, want, I don't want to leave here without having that. I want to have a relationship with God. If that's you all across this room, would you just raise your hand? Say, man, I want to have a relationship with God. I see your hand right there in the back, over here in the middle, two over here on the left side, three on the left side, two over here on the right side. Thank you. Thank you. Over here. Can you just repeat this after me? And we're all going to pray this together. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for sending Jesus to pay for my sins. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of grace. Today, I acknowledge my need for you. And I open the door with gratitude. Your word says that you would come and you would give me a new heart. So from this day forward, I choose to live for you. Thank you for all that you're doing in my heart. I give you praise in Jesus' name.